Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from GuideHouse. Join the FedHeads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of FedHeads. And we are at 228. I can't believe we've been doing this so long. We're also continuing on our long quest for a replacement host. And so we're joined incredibly this month by Dave Winogren. Dave is the CEO of ACT-IAC, the chairman of the board of the National Academy of Public Administration. But he also had a long storied career in government, Navy chief information officer, vice chair of the federal CIO council, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Information Management, Integration, and Technology, and Deputy Chief Information Officer. I mean, I can't believe we bagged you as a guest host, but you've been a longtime friend and an icon in the government management community, so I couldn't think of a more perfect guest host. Well, I'm just honored to be here with you, Robert, and to be sitting in this chair where so many august hosts have come before me to do the show with you. Thanks I, for having me. I think you may be at the top of the list, but maybe we'll cut that part out for, for fear of offending <laughs> someone. We wouldn't want to do that. I went with august list of past recipients of this seat. And all. So there's, there's a lot to talk about in this few minutes we have together. But tell me a little bit more about you, about how you're leading ACT-IAC, what it does, or anything else you'd like to share with our listeners. So ACT-IAC's been around for a long time, and through the help of leaders like you and many others in town, this whole idea about, you know, if only government and industry would talk more, we would get better outcomes. Particularly around the federal technology market, you've got a 90-plus billion-dollar-a-year federal IT budget. The vast majority of that money gets spent in the private sector. And so government and industry have to find ways to make sure that they're not just talking to one another, but they're actually going deeper in understanding industry best practices and how to bring those to bear in government. And that's what ACT-IAC has been doing for over 40 years. How do you get government industry together so we can get better government mission outcomes? And so there's a lot to be uh, thankful about in that regard. There's a lot of progress that's being made as new approaches to cybersecurity and technology modernization are being adopted and embraced. But as GAO would say, you know, progress has been made, but more work still needs to be done. So there's still an opportunity, I think, to continue to raise the bar about how to bring innovation to government, how to use better acquisition approaches, how to adopt new technologies. And so there's lots of great stuff that we're working on. You host an annual conference that brings leaders in government together with those in the private sector for a few days to deliberate on some of the big issues of the day, but also to network and forge those relationships you're talking about. ELC. I'm a little disappointed. I mean, maybe you're going to give it to me later. The chocolate did you bring me any yeah, Reese's the big, peanut big butter cups bar. or something? Our yeah. conference, Imagination ELC, does take place in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And we do a reception at Chocolate World. And it's just fascinating to watch 950 adults suddenly act like children again when they're around all the chocolate bars and stuff. But, uh, yes, I've got it in the car for you. So tell me, tell, me, uh, tell me how the meeting was. It was excellent. You know, there is just a hunger to get back together again in person. Absolutely. I will say that the pandemic has shown us that virtual technologies allow us to expand our reach, to engage more people, to have more diverse views and understandings because people are not bounded by geography, if you will. But but nonetheless, there's a serendipity that happens when human beings actually get together in person that doesn't happen on Zoom. And so 950 of our closest friends rallying together in Hershey just provided a lot of great content about what the top priorities are for the federal technology market. But then also 
you know, how can we collaborate? How can we network? How can we build relationships? So what are some of the big issues that are confronting the community right now? So I think that, you know, there's a federal IT operating plan that Claire Monterano and her team put out. I think it like nicely summarizes, I'll say like the four top issues in the federal technology market. How can we continue to improve technology modernization? How can we use new approaches to cybersecurity that reflect the virtual web-based world that we live in? How can we better take advantage of the data that we have? And how can we bring together this sort of digital transformation and customer experience world to deliver better outcomes? I know uh, ACT-IAC also put out a report recently on ways to improve governance of IT modernization and IT investment generally. Do you want to give a plug for that? Yeah, I would love piece to. Piece of thought leadership. I would love to do a plug for that. Just as we talked recently about it's the 20th anniversary of the eGov Act, it's also been a number of years now since FATARA has been implemented. And right on the heels of implementing FATARA came the FATARA scorecard, which was the way to sort of grade government progress in hitting the goals of FATARA. That's been several years in place now and it was time I think for a refresh. So we brought together a group of former government technology leaders all now in industry to look at how do you help make the FATAR scorecard continue to have relevancy given all the changes in the world that have taken place since then, since the enactment of the Act. And so it's got a lot of great recommendations. You can find it on the ACT-IAC website. Talks about the need for modular incremental development. Talks about the need to move to the cloud but also to take care of the thousands of legacy systems that are still in place and need to be thought through. Talks about CIO authority it talks about the workforce. It talks about how do you help manage financially. And I know a subject you and I have talked about before, the power of working capital funds and things like that. And so it's got a lot of number of great recommendations that sort of move us away from grades that may be counting outputs, right? I mean, if you close data centers, you can count that, but you could close a lot of data centers and not necessarily improve your mission outcome. Right. And so how can we have more outcome mission focused measures in the Fatara scorecard and move away from scorecards that just arbitrarily grade on a curve and have some people that always have to be a D or an F, regardless of whether progress has been made? You know, we've talked about this as well. A lot of these efforts we've attempted in the past become compliance exercises. You talked in the words you used, I heard you say there's a way to make it more real, more impactful on outcomes, mission, and get people to take it more seriously. It's not a back office function. It's a front office function. It's a frontline function. Is there appetite for doing that for that purpose? Is that something you see as a reason for your report? Yes, I think there's interest on the Hill, interest in government, interest with GAO. That, you know, the things that we measure, the things that we focus our time and attention on. But if we can focus on outcome-based measures around the mission of an agency, the difference that we make will be much more profound. Rather than counting data centers to be closed, if we had agencies develop an IT modernization plan and then we used oversight hearings to review the progress of those plans, we'd be moving from a culture of oversight, which has momentarily, I gotcha, but, you know, you're not making any improvements, to measuring the progress of our plans and actually seeing whether improvement is being made. And they're tailored to the organizations that that design that built them. You make the commitment to do it, and then we'll follow up with you to make sure you did. ELC, this report, you weren't busy enough, so you chair the National Academy of Public Administration, of which we're both proud yes. fellows. And I want to state you're a former chair of the board. of That's it, you, They've definitely traded up, I can tell you that. <laughs> the National Academy hosted its annual fall meeting, and it had an interesting design because it was hosted here in D.C. in part, but also in Hartford and 
Where else? Anyway, it had three locations, a mix of virtual and on-site, but also very meaty topics. Tell me how that uh, meeting went. So I think that's like the sort of recognition of the world we live in nowadays, right? How can you bring together the virtual world and all the promise that it brings in terms of engagement along with the power of being able to be in person? And I think Napa has a lot to be celebrating. The grand challenges in public administration just really have like kicked up a notch about the way Napa engages with the broader ecosystem. Napa has long been viewed as an outstanding place to go to get studies done to help improve the mission of government. But the grand challenges in public administration and some of the work of standing panels that Napa has on things like social equity and and intergovernmental activities and their new Agile Government Center, I think just really sort of speak to issues that are top of mind for the whole federal government market. And you also inducted a whole new class of fellows. Right, which is the heart and soul of what makes Napa so great is these 900 or so fellows who make up the academy. Give us a little window on what that process is like. It's a tough process. You know, people get uh, nominated to become a fellow. There's a whole review process. Um, the slate gets whittled down. The fellows vote on it. And so, you know, it, it is quite quite an honor to uh, to end up being a fellow of the National Academy of Public Administration, one of the only two congressionally chartered national academies that we have. I'm not hurt you didn't mention it, but I chair the uh, longest standing panel at the Academy. Well, I knew I could count on you to maybe bring it up. You know? <laughs> the, the panel on executive organization and management. Each of the Academy's panels had an opportunity to convene during the meeting, and I had a very exciting, happy topic. Bill Hoagland from the Bipartisan Policy Center and Jeff Arkin from GAO, the GAO budget expert, shared their views on budget process and the government's fiscal condition. Wow. It was, for a Friday afternoon, one of the most depressing things I could have possibly organized, you know. But an important topic. A very important topic, and not to bring us down, but they talked about the unlikelihood, is that a word? Unlikelihood that Congress was going to be able to return to regular order in the budget process anytime soon. But how critical it is because the fiscal condition of of the United States government is in a terrible place. And there's been this theory that we could continue borrowing and spending without consequence, but inflation has really thrown cold water in that theory. And the interest on the debt is joining growth in mandatory spending, which is also impacted by inflation, as accelerating the crowding out of discretionary spending. So I don't, I don't know what the upside is that other than that these are critical issues that the new Congress is going to have to consider, at least to some extent. Which brings up, we do have a new Congress, or we will, come January 3rd. As we record this... Things are still up in the air. Things are still up, and they will be. My, but, uh, if, if I were a betting man... But much closer than perhaps many people thought. In yeah. Terms of, but, but if I were a betting man, I would say that, and I am a betting man... Do that, you win, though? When you, the, no, no. no. <laughs> December 6th, the, Georgia will have to go to a runoff on December 6th. We may not know the outcome of who's the Senate majority until then, which throws the end game of the Congress in question. Any thoughts on what the new Congress will bring to government management? I wish I had my magic eight ball here because I feel like it might give you better advice than I will at this moment. Because I just feel like, you know, things were, we were not moving fast now. And I can't imagine that the way the election ends up sorting itself out will make us move faster. And yet you have this like, this moment of opportunity that has to be seized. I'm delighted you talked about the budget on a Friday afternoon because that you have this trifecta of trying to emerge from a crisis like the pandemic, this relentless page of technology, and then this like complete lack of any financial 
continuity in government, which just makes like a huge recipe for chaos, right? Unless we can find ways, if we're not going to pass appropriations, if we're going to deal with the continuing resolutions and you can't do new programs, how are you supposed to change? And so I think we've got to focus the spotlight on this. So I applaud you. Thank you very much. Uh, I was fishing for that. It was a long-winded fishing for that compliment. There are two potential upsides of this new Congress that I see. If the Senate stays in control of the Democrats, then the nominations process will at least be able to continue through some semblance of normalcy. Remains to be seen, if Republicans gain the majority, then I think a lot of that stops dead in its tracks. Also, I think Republicans gaining control of one or both bodies sharpens their oversight pencils. They will be able to focus more critically on the extent to which agencies are accomplishing their mission effectively and efficiently. There's going to be some silliness in the oversight, but I do think there's a real opportunity to bring some focus on important issues. GAO will release its high-risk list and overlap and duplication report early in the new Congress. And that's that's really a blueprint for some of the big issues, fiscal condition among them, that Congress will be able to look at more closely. If we set aside the silliness factor that may ensue, the right kind of oversight matters a lot. And to me, that's the key. If we can just focus on how do we measure outcomes and whether progress is being made rather than the momentary thrill of saying you did something wrong. I talked to an innovator this morning who said rather than having inspector generals at agencies, we ought to create innovation generals. So we had a bias for action then had, and you, oh my gosh, we better go do something. The innovation general is coming. It's going to check in on seeing whether we're trying something new rather than what ends up happening when you have a culture of oversight that's all about, you know, what have I done wrong? It makes you not want to do anything. You know what I like about that? And the Fed heads will agree. You don't have to change the acronym. Exactly. All the acronyms associated with that community would just stay exactly the same. I told him I was going to steal that phrase and use it later this afternoon. And you did. I did. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. Anything else on your mind? No, I just can't wait to see. Like I said, moments of change are moments of opportunity. And so, you know, regardless of how the election pans out and whether one or both houses stay the same as they are now, there's going to be differences that are going to take place. Changes are going to happen. And how can we seize those moments of change to make a change that's going to be for the better? Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us. So congratulations on your story career and all you've accomplished in the last six weeks. Thank you. It's delightful to be here with you, Rob. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, a weekly podcast brought to you by GuideHouse.